Many of Jesus' disciples who were listening said, This saying is hard. Who can accept it? What was Jesus talking about? What saying of Jesus was hard? Who was having a hard time accepting this? So if you have been with the church the last several Sundays of the church year, last Sunday was kind of an anomaly because August the 15th, which is the day we celebrate the Assumption of Mary, fell on a Sunday. But if that wasn't on a Sunday, we for the last four weeks would have been hearing John chapter 6. And John chapter 6 is a very important gospel passage for any Christian, especially for Catholic Christians. Because John 6 is really the meat and potatoes of where the Catholic Church gets her teaching, her scripture teaching of the truth of Jesus' Eucharistic presence. And so for the, the previous Gospels of John 6, we hear Jesus saying that he is the bread of life. That the bread of life, that, that he has come to give his flesh for the world, that his flesh is true food and his blood is true drink. That those who eat his flesh and drink his blood remain in he and he and them. And Jesus teaches this, and we know how it went over if we were listening to John 6 a couple weeks ago, because we're told that uh, Jesus teaches this amazing truth, and the response is, what was that? Uh, what, did he just say what I thought he said? And so Jesus teaches the truth of the Eucharist once, and it's responded to kind of like uh, with a little bit of indifference and a little surprise and a little doubt. And so Jesus responds to that, and he doesn't say, oh, no, no, let me explain. I, I, I didn't really mean it literally. It's more of an analogy. Let me explain. No, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus teaches this one time. It's responded to in doubt. And so Jesus teaches it a second time, more forcefully than the first time. And that second time, people react, and they're kind of like, are you, are you serious, Jesus? Your flesh is actually food? Your blood is actually drink? And Jesus, for a third time, teaches the truth of the reality of what the Eucharist is, his flesh and his blood. And so here we are at the beginning of our gospel today, and we're told many of Jesus' disciples who were listening, many people who listened to this said, this saying is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus knew that his disciples were murmuring about this, and so he said to them, does this shock you? And brothers and sisters, I invite you to consider the truth of Jesus' presence in the Eucharist. Am I aware of that? And does that shock me? Because in one sense, that totally should shock all of us. That we are the children of a God who loves us so perfectly, so completely, that he doesn't, he doesn't just want to be around us, he wants to dwell in us. Our God doesn't just want to, like, fight for holiness from us by interceding for us. He wants to enter into our hearts to the reality of the mess that is you and I. And he wants to accomplish the victory of his mercy in us and through us. This saying should shock us. But in another sense, this teaching of Jesus should not surprise us, and it should not shock us. But unfortunately today, you and I find ourselves living amidst a church that the polls would tell us an increasing number of people do not believe, an increasing number of Catholics do not believe in the true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And so we're going to have just a very brief reminder crash course here. Has the Catholic Church always taught this? 
If we were going to jump into a time capsule and we were going to go back 2,000 years and we were going to find the church on day one, guess what she believed? That Jesus shows up body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist when the Mass is celebrated. If we were going to jump into a time capsule and go back to ancient Rome and we were going to witness the trial and the, and the execution of some of the first martyrs of the Christian church, guess what they suffered and died for? The truth that Jesus is present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist celebrated during the Mass. History shows us that the earliest Christians believed the exact same thing that the Catholic Church teaches 2,000 years later about the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And so we could say the witness of history, the witness of the martyrs. We could also say the witness of the saints. Because for the last 2,000 years, in every age since Jesus walked the earth, since the Mass started being celebrated, guess what we have? Throughout every age, the last 2,000 years, we have seen the witness of saints. Pick your favorite saint. If we were going to interview all of them, and we are going to go to each of them and say, what made you a saint? What was it that was the secret of holiness in you? We would find an overwhelming majority, which means all of them telling us that it was the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. You know, Mother Teresa was asked once before she died, she was asked many times, what's the secret to your joy? Mother Teresa said, the secret to my joy is the hour I spend every morning with Jesus. St. John Paul II was invited to comment on sharing the secret of where he got his love, the intentionality by which he lived his life. He was asked, what's the secret behind your life? What's the secret of John Paul II? You know what he said? The Eucharist. So brothers and sisters, we find as we get closer and closer and closer to the Eucharistic heart of Jesus, guess what we find more and more of? Saints. So if this is not Jesus present in the Eucharist, where are all these saints coming from? How do we know it's Jesus in the Eucharist? History tells us. The martyrs tell us. The witness of the saints reveal to us this truth. There are about maybe 200 times in the last 2,000 years that when a Catholic priest has celebrated the Mass, that the elements of bread and wine have actually physically changed into flesh and blood. There have been times, it doesn't happen every day, it doesn't happen every decade, but there have been times in the history of the church when the host has started to bleed after it has been consecrated by a Catholic priest. And so if you don't believe me, please go home and Google Eucharistic miracles and look and see what, when Jesus is put under the microscope, what science reveals to be true. Science leads us to the voice of truth, and that voice is the person of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, follow the history, follow the saints, follow the science. But most importantly, as Christians, we follow the voice of our God. And how is it that we know for sure that the Eucharist is the flesh and the blood of Jesus? We know this is true because God himself told us. God himself told us throughout John chapter 6, but this is not without precedent. We've heard for the last several weeks coming to Mass that there were, remember, breadcrumbs placed throughout salvation history in the Old Testament of God preparing his people to receive this gift. If you think about it, God has authority over his creation. And all of salvation history shows us that when God speaks, the universe listens. 
What do I mean by that? Everything is created in the book of Genesis out of nothing. How was it created? God spoke and things happened. In the beginning, there is nothing. God says, let there be light. What happens? Light is created. In the beginning, there aren't creepy, crawly things on the ground. And God says, let there be creepy, crawly things on the ground. What happens? The universe listens and worships before the God that created it. We could fast forward several thousand years in the story of our salvation and meet the person of Jesus Christ. There are any times in the Gospels where Jesus speaks and the universe listens? The Gospels are chock full of them. Jesus is asleep in the boat. There's storms breaking out all over the place. The ship's going down. The disciples wake him up. He stands up in the boat and he says, be still. What happens? The universe listens. Jesus has many people coming up to him asking for healing. He prays over them and he says, rise, pick up your mat and walk. What happens? Those people rise, pick up their mats and walk home. Jesus is walking past the grave of Lazarus who is dead. And he says, Lazarus, come out. What happens? The dead man walks out of his tomb because the voice of God governs the universe. The voice of God speaks and the universe worships the God who made it. And so at the high point of salvation history, God himself picks up a piece of bread and he says what? Take this, all of you, and eat of it. This is A symbolic representation of my love? No. What does he say? This is my body. Father Luke, how do you know? Why are you so convinced that the Eucharist is the presence of Jesus? Because Jesus told us time and time again. The witness of the saints reveals it. The voice of science reveals it. The history of the Christian people shows it to be true. And so if the Eucharist is the presence of Jesus among us, not just symbolically, but literally, What is our response? I really invite you to consider that tonight. If the Eucharist truly is the body of God, what changes in my life? Because if that is the heart of God, there is no greater gift that we could ever be given because there is nothing greater than him. At the end of this gospel passage, we're told that many of Jesus' disciples departed from him because this saying was hard to accept. And so note what Jesus didn't do. Did Jesus run after them and say, wait, come on, like my popularity is going to go down in the polls and I really need you to like me into it. No, Jesus did not do that. What did Jesus do? Jesus definitively taught the presence of the Eucharist. Many people left and he turned to his closest friends and he said, will you also leave? Jesus would rather that we know and understand what he is clearly teaching. He would rather people understand and leave then people just pay lip service to it and not take it seriously. And so we find ourselves 2,000 years later being invited by Jesus to recall the truth of his Eucharistic presence and being invited to make a decision about how that impacts our lives. In the first reading, we heard from Joshua, one of the great heroes of Israel. And what did Joshua tell us in the first reading tonight? Joshua said, decide today whom you will serve. And then Joshua actually goes out of his way to give us a few options. He says, decide today whom you will serve. The idols your family has previously served, that's an option that, jo- that Joshua presents to Israel. If you want to keep serving the idols that are in God's place in your life, by all means, have at it. You are free. You can do that. Joshua says you can serve the pagan gods whom the people dwelling in your country serve. 
There are more than a few of those. Take your pick. You can serve whoever you want to. You are free. But what does Joshua conclude? As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. St. John Paul II tells us that adoring Jesus Christ, who out of love makes himself bread that is broken, is the most effective and radical remedy against the idolatry of the past and the idolatry of the present. What is the greatest remedy of the idolatry of our past and the idolatry of the present culture in which we live? What is it? Adoring Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who makes himself present in the Eucharist. And so, brothers and sisters, you and I are invited in a beautiful way this day, this weekend, by our beautiful parish, to call to mind how seriously we take that invitation to adore Jesus Christ in his Eucharistic presence. We have a beautiful adoration chapel here, and you'll have the opportunity to sign up after Mass if this is something that you have not done in your life. But I would greatly encourage you to strongly consider making time every week to come and to visit Jesus' Eucharistic presence, to adore his heart that is on display for all to see and for all to praise and for all to love. In our opening prayer in Mass today, what did we pray? You ever pay attention to the opening prayer? What did we talk about in our opening prayer at Mass today? We prayed, O God, who caused the minds of the faithful to unite in a single purpose. What is the single purpose that all of the faithful are invited to say yes to doing? You and I are invited to adore the heart of our God. That is the essence of the response of a Christian. If we truly knew who God was and what he has accomplished for us, you and I are invited to adore with a singular purpose, with an undivided mind and heart, the heart of our God. We pray, grant your people to love what you command and to desire what you promise. What have we been commanded by our God to love? We've been commanded to love him first before anything else in our life and to love our neighbor as ourself. If we place ourselves face to face, adoring Jesus and his Eucharistic presence, guess what is cultivated in our hearts? A greater love for him and a greater love for our neighbor. Finally, in the opening prayer for, for Mass tonight, we pray that amid the uncertainties of this world, our hearts may be fixed on that place where true gladness is found. So I invite you to consider, if the Eucharist is the true presence of our God, then where would it be in our world that our hearts can go to be fixed on the place where true gladness is found? Obviously, that would be the heart of our God. And so we prayed at the beginning of this Mass for a greater love for Jesus, a greater love for our neighbor, and for the grace to see and place ourselves in front of that place where gladness and healing may be found. Where is that place? Face to face, heart to heart with our God. In the first reading, the people answered Joshua. They said, far be it from us to forsake the Lord for the service of other gods. For it was the Lord who freed us from slavery in Egypt. It was the Lord who performed great miracles before our very eyes. And it was the Lord who protected us along our journey among the peoples through whom we passed. Brothers and sisters, why should I make a holy hour? Why should I visit Jesus? Why should I adore him face to face in the Eucharistic Adoration Chapel? Because it is he more than any other person who has freed us, who heals us, 
who desires to transform us into his living images in this time. How we need saints in this day and age. And so Joshua invites us through his words to gaze upon the one before our very eyes who has worked many miracles. You and I are invited to adore, to receive, and to love in such a great way the heart of our God. And so we are challenged, we are invited after Mass tonight. If you haven't done so, please consider committing to showing up every once in a while to visit Jesus in the Adoration Chapel, to gaze upon the one who loves us perfectly, who desires to heal and to transform us, to make us new. Brothers and sisters, he is coming soon to this Mass. Come, let us